This is Future You with Jeff Salingo and Michael Horn. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Horn, the Chief Strategy Officer at the Entangled Group in Education Technology Studio. And I'm also the co-founder and distinguished fellow at the Clayton Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovation, author of several books on the future of education, and excited for uh, this episode of Future You. And I'm Jeff Salingo, author of several books on higher education and a contributor at the Washington Post and the Atlantic. And I'm also a special advisor at Arizona State University, where I lead the Academy for Innovative Higher Education Leadership. And that's where we're recording from today at ASU's new Washington, D.C. Center. And uh, thanks to ASU and also uh, Entangled, where I'm a senior strategist for supporting this uh, podcast. So I'm really excited uh, for this episode, Michael, of, of Future uh, You, because we're going to be joined by one of my first editors uh, in higher education, uh, Doug Letterman, who is an editor and one of the founders of Inside Higher Ed. Uh, I worked with Doug at the Chronicle a very long time ago, now 20 plus years ago, and uh, and Doug was my first editor there, uh, edited the government and politics coverage of, uh, of, of the Chronicle, basically covering the federal government and state governments, and, um, and, and really excited to have him on today, who he's going to be talking about a lot of federal issues, uh, mostly around uh, uh, accreditation, quality assurance, and a lot of the changes we're starting to see in the marketplace around uh, online program managers and also uh, the changes from for profit to nonprofits. Of, a lot of uh, things of to cover. With things Doug. To cover we're putting with a Doug. lot on him. Yeah. We are putting a lot on him, but the, one of the great things about Doug is that uh, he has uh, he essentially covered almost every issue in higher education imaginable, and including uh, since we're in the middle of March Madness this here uh, uh, college basketball. So I'm hoping that we're going to have enough time with him to maybe even get his picks ah, uh, there we go. For, uh, for, for the national championship uh, uh, chip this year. So uh, anyway, so really excited to have him on. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a, a really fun issue. And it's, it's interesting if we, uh, I, I'm excited just to get his take on what for-profits are doing, quite frankly, Jeff. It, you, we see uh, for-profit universities that have been in, in the news a lot starting in, I guess, 2011, thereabouts, uh, coming under the gainful employment clause with the Obama administration really cracking down on them. They had grown at that point to about 10% of all higher ed enrollments. They're down now to about 5%, so they've been halved uh, since that, that movement taken off. You have the Trump administration come in and you see a relaxing or at least an open to rethinking uh, the gainful employment uh, borrowed, borrower to defense uh, repayment uh, uh, regulations and so forth. And a lot of people say, oh, my goodness, for profits going to explode again. And but actually, we've actually seen the opposite. Well, yeah, we're right? not seeing that at all, right? We're seeing Kaplan University sell to Purdue. We're seeing uh, Grand Canyon, uh, Grand Canyon yeah. convert to nonprofit. Uh, we're seeing Ashford, uh, owned by Bridgepoint, uh, uh, convert to nonprofit. So, and I think we're going to see a lot more of this activity. So, why do you think we're we're seeing that when we do have an administration that seems much more sympathetic? To the for-profit, uh, to the for-profit industry. Why you think we would be going in the opposite direction, where you would actually see new new for-profits uh, popping up, or at least the for-profits we already have really uh, focusing much more in their in their marketplaces? Yeah, stepping on the gas, right? Yeah. I, so I think my take is that they say, look, we have a window right now. But it's a window. There's going to be a Democratic administration again in power, and they're going to put stuff back in. And, you know, yes, we could potentially reauthorize Higher Education Act to stop the uh, distinction between for-profits and non-profits, but they'll still probably find a way to crack back down. Why uh, take that risk 
when we can move them to nonprofit institutions, much better focus on our students because we don't have to deal with all these regulatory headaches that are coming from Washington and eliminate the distinction with a category uh, of, you know, what's really happening in these for-profits is they're converting to online program managers. Right. Uh, and so they're still in the business. So I guess that's a question for you, Michael. Is this necessarily a better pathway for them? So if they were struggling in some cases as for-profits, why going nonprofit status uh, necessarily makes them makes them better, and they're all not following the same playbook, right? Kaplan following a different playbook than, for example, uh, Grand Canyon. Can you talk a little bit about why is this better? Yeah, for sure. So I, I think the distinction is that so Kaplan will still be servicing what used to be Kaplan University, now owned by Purdue. That the the name is Purdue. Global, or, Global yeah. right? Uh, and so they'll be servicing them in what's effectively an online program manager contract where they're going to basically get uh, covered for all the expenses that they put out for the Purdue uh, online program and then get uh, a share of uh, a profit, in essence, um, of, of what Purdue brings in over and above costs. That'll essentially work out to about 62% or so of revenue is, is roughly my read. And so from Kaplan's perspective, you're no longer dealing with any of the regulatory headaches of offering a for-profit institution that is governed by gainful employment, uh, can start to have lots of regulations that constrain your ability to uh, serve and, and work with students and so forth. Uh, a lot of the uh, headaches over veteran affairs dollars and 90-10 and, all, and what percentage of financial aid from federal government sources, a lot of those will go away and Kaplan can just focus on being the best online program manager they can be and helping to grow Purdue. So Grand Canyon is right, actually right, interesting. Right. It's the same thing, right? It, it just... Now, Grand Canyon, the university, will be a nonprofit, and there will be a for-profit company. I'm not sure what they're doing from a naming convention perspective, but uh, that will be service, servicing uh, this nonprofit institution in the same dynamic where they're basically, I think it's almost identical contract uh, to the Kaplan-Purdue one, where they they basically will be covered for cost and getting some percentage of the upside. So help explain to me, because I have a friend who's a, a Purdue alum who asks me, every time I see him, he asks me about this Kaplan deal. Why? What, what, is, in it, what, is, in, what is in it for Purdue? So I think Mitch Daniels, uh, who's the president, who's of, Purdue, the president of Purdue, who we have, was to the governor, we have to have on this we podcast have to have at on some this point. Podcast, yeah. Yes. He, he was the governor of Indiana before, we should say that. Uh, and he has some Washington service in his yeah, blood OMB, as well. Yeah. OMB. Uh, Mitch comes in there and he looks at Arizona State and he looks at some of these other institutions in, in, in uh, state universities and uh, he says, holy cow, they're really good at serving large swaths of their state population as a public institution. We should be doing more as well. Why aren't we doing much in online? And he said, well, we can build the capability ourselves, but how long is that going to take? We're starting from way behind the eight ball, so to speak. Or, holy cow, Kaplan wants to sell to me. I can just acquire those assets, get online really quickly. And by the way, uh, we've talked in the past, Jeff, about uh, staffing up innovation offices and bringing a culture of innovation in the university. All of a sudden, now I can start to infuse innovation in all of my programs. So I want to grow engineering from uh, a thousand students online to you know, 10 times that I can do that. Right. And so, uh, bring in an innovative Dean from Princeton, who's taught one of the most popular classes on Coursera to try to grow that. And so I think from Purdue's perspective as a public land grant institution, 
They say, we want to be serving a wider swath of the university, excuse me, of the population. Online is an important way to do that. This is our key to doing that and fulfill our broader mission more broadly defined. But they are one of the more um, uh, elite or uh, selective institutions kind of going in this direction. We've seen other selective institutions go in small ways, usually with graduate degrees, through online program providers like 2U and, and others. But we haven't seen them a Purdue-like institution go in a, in a way like this before. Is, is this now, are we going to see more of that uh, among kind of these selective name brand institutions? I think it makes it more mainstream. My gut tells me, I mean, we're obviously forecasting here, but my gut tells me that you'll see a few others do this, okay. but I don't think it'll be every single uh, flagship institution jumps in, uh, jumps into the online game at scale the way Purdue has. I think you'll see a, a handful of presidents that say, we want to be as big or have as big an impact as a Michael Crow or a Mitch Daniels and some of that activity. Uh, but I don't think it'll be every single state in every single place. And I'm not sure it makes sense at every single state uh, either given demographics or, or other institutions in the state and so forth. Purdue had another interesting uh, uh, dynamic, which was that Western Governors University, uh, online competency-based university that serves roughly 100,000 students, uh, is operating in Indiana's WGU Indiana. And wasn't it Mitch Daniels as governor who brought who them in? Who them right. in, yeah, <laughs> right? So uh, to better train the vocational. So I think right. he sees a certain picture of, I want a much more textured uh, set of universities and programs serving my adult population, something we've talked about with Goldie Blumenstick uh, on earlier episode yeah. of Future You, and so says we want to uh, we, we want to create a more textured ecosystem that is competing with each other to do this. So, Michael, so we have all these new players uh, kind of entering uh, this space in, in higher education, and it, it always comes back to one word uh, that I hear often from both people inside higher ed and outside higher ed, and that is quality, right? Who is who is main, who is in charge of maintaining quality of all these these programs? We know we have this accreditation system uh, in in higher education, this regional accreditation system, uh, uh, and the regional creditors. I should mention approved uh, these these deals that we mentioned uh, earlier. Some people thought maybe they would have asked more questions, and they didn't. And and this is what uh, people are really kind of upset about: is that the accreditors they think are a little bit asleep at the the switch here when it comes to to quality assurance. As we look ahead now to, to quality assurance in, in higher ed, are these regional creditors going to continue to be kind of the chief arbiters of, of quality, or do you think we're going to start to see some changes in this area? I'm not sure. It's hard to strip them out of the system, but I do think you're seeing a moment where everyone in Washington agrees on nothing except that they don't like accreditors. And so I don't know what that means because I'm not sure they agree on what the solution is going forward. But obviously, you know, Entangled has been uh, one of the groups standing up an Education Quality Assurance Standards Board to create uh, common ways to represent student outcomes that allow mis uh, institutions to claim outcomes particular to their mission. So we're right. not forcing a liberal arts college to uh, claim a vocational outcome. And we're outcome. also auditing these in, in yes, different ways. Though, exactly. Right? Creating a third-party yeah. auditor system uh, basically saying, hey, accreditors are really good at helping you improve self-improvement, uh, 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 bring committees to bear to help do that. But they were never built with an idea around student outcomes in mind. And so to ask them to be this gatekeeper function as we have for over 50 years is a tough road to hoe. And so I think a lot of people are looking at 
what are other options? Could we have accreditors compete against each other? Senator uh, Lamar Alexander has proposed that. Should we have a modern states, a new accreditor come in that approves organizations? Could you even have a third way where an institution that says, I want to be uh, innovative, can come into the system in exchange for significant risk sharing with the federal government for future tuition? You're going to hear a bevy of proposals. I'm not sure there's a clear way forward, but you know what, Jeff? That's why I'm excited we have a reporter coming in here, Doug, uh, who can actually tell us what's realistic in the years ahead. Yeah, and we'll be asking him about accreditation. You know, I always, there's always this line that uh, Ben Nelson, founder of Minerva, always says, right? He says it's, it's, it's really hard to get accreditation, but once you have it, it's really difficult to, to lose it. Um, so looking forward to having Doug uh, come up uh, with us right after the break. Welcome back to Future You. I'm Michael Horn uh, and uh, joined, of course, with Jeff Salingo. We're both colleagues at Entangled Solutions, which is helping sponsor this podcast and broadcasting you uh, today from uh, the studio at Arizona State University in Washington, D.C. And uh, really excited about the guest uh, coming up, Jeff, uh, who is going to set us straight on the conversation that we just had around for-profits, innovation, accreditation, and so forth. Yes, I'm really excited. I'm Jeff Salingo. Really excited to have uh, Doug Letterman with us uh, today. As I mentioned earlier, he was my uh, first editor uh, when I came to uh, D.C. to cover higher education and uh, always say taught me everything I know uh, about uh, higher education. He's now at uh, Inside Higher Ed, one of the founders uh, at Inside Higher Ed, and we're really uh, happy to uh, have you here, Doug. Great to be here. Great to be back with both of you. It's been a while, Michael. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Uh, So, Doug, a a question we ask uh, almost everybody that comes on the podcast. So, tell us how you got started in this thing we call higher education. Yeah, uh, I very much describe, oh, I describe myself as an accidental, a lot of things, an accidental entrepreneur, because didn't really intend to found a a new publication, but and very much sort of became an accidental higher ed reporter. I had worked at the New York Times for two years out of college, covering worked at one year it's covering sports and one year at the city desk, and then got a job covering college athletics at the Chronicle, which is a publication I hadn't heard of six months before I applied there. I mean, I guess I'd seen it around the student newspaper or whatever, but so I got a job covering college athletics, sort of on the issues side, which was really interesting stuff, um, but never expected to become, quote, a higher ed reporter, didn't set out to do that. And so I think I I try and tell my kids now, ask everybody you talk to how they got where they are, because almost everybody's accidental something. And I think that's important to keep in mind. No, it's a a very good point. And we're going to come back to the sports thing later. But but, uh, I'm just curious right now, the uh, we've just come off this big conversation about all these for profits trying to convert to Mm nonprofit status. What's going on? And where should this where's this going? And what should we expect? Well, it's funny, because about four or five years ago, Paul Fain, who's a colleague of mine, and I hired, I wrote a a chapter for a book out of um, Stanford about, I think the book was something like The New Ecology of Higher Education, and we wrote the chapter on for-profits, and we predicted that sort of there would be this, you know, we we talked about this cycle that happened where there was this uh, enrollment growth, uh, uh, overreach, and terrible missteps often, uh, cleansing through increased regulation, and then shrinking of the sector. And we described that at each time that happened, and if you look at history, there's a series of those, each time that happened, there would be the sector would move closer to the rest of higher education, which at the same time was moving sort of in the other right, direction. I was say it's working both ways, yeah. Exactly. And so, and then about during the Obama years, Paul and I, so this was probably in the early, mid-Obama years before the real crackdown on, and Paul and I thought, oh crap, we were wrong because the sector's going to disappear. 
uh, huh. entirely, the for-profit sector. I think, you know, the, the, the election, I think, maybe reset that a little bit again. Um, so what I think is, I think it's actually our original thing isn't all that far off. There is, I think there is a, some movement, some elimination and shrinkage, and I think there are clearly people getting out. Um, it'll be hard to tell what happens politically, but I, I do believe that over 5, 10, 20, 30 years, a lot of the differences disappear. The lines will disappear, and there will be, I mean, because God knows we're seeing not quote nonprofit higher education look a lot more like for profit in certain ways we're seeing and so i i don't know that the the lineations will ever completely disappear but we're obviously seeing a blurring of the lines now with some policy encouragement um so that's part of to to, to what's actually driving this i mean listen we've seen certainly know that the for profit sector the investors are have fled um, there is a policy environment that but is... this policy environment is much more friendly. Well, that's what I'm saying. Profits, right? So you would think that uh, maybe they would kind of go back to it's, the old days? It's or possible, no? but I think the... I mean, listen, they, they've taken a huge hit. They took a huge hit enrollment-wise. It took a huge hit uh, sort of public perception-wise. Some of them may recover, and I think some will stay. I believe there will be some that stay. Um, I don't know that we'll see a lot of new entities start up. But I think the I mean, what we've really what we've really seen the end of are the big for-profit companies. Those those cons, com, conglomerations. Do you think they'll all go nonprofit? Um, or, or, or in these public, you know, Purdue Kaplan type arrangements. I, possibly, I think there may be a couple else. I mean, I I think there may be a couple that try to become public that state public benefit corporations that stay technically for-profit. I don't know that they'll all go, but I don't think we've seen the last of mm. the conversions. And I think, and there is absolutely so. I mean, I, I think the the Apollo people probably wished they hadn't bet, gone so far down that road before the election, because I think they might well have they sold right. low. And so, anyway, but I don't know what. Yeah, and obviously, I can't predict what happens politically. And I'm right, there, but, <laughs> nobody can in this time. Right, yeah. So, uh, so there's a lot of turmoil in the nonprofit uh, of world as as yeah. well. We see a lot of talks of of mergers and acquisitions. We've seen stuff up in the, in the Boston area, both Weedlock and, and Boston uh, University and Mount Ida uh, and LaSalle a couple of, uh, of weeks ago. Uh, you have a poll inside of Higher Ed, a new poll out uh, in conjunction with the ACE meeting of, of presidents that you do every year. And a, and a stunning number of presidents said they could see their institution going out of business or merging in the next uh, five years. Uh, uh, as Michael knows, Clay Christensen makes this prediction every couple of years about all these right. colleges going out of business, and it never happens. That was one of the arguments, the, one of the first arguments, d- discussions and arguments Michael and I had was of, about <laughs> about that question. It was probably five or six years so ago. So what's going to so. happen in this area? Well, out of business, mergers, well, acquisitions? Well, so what's listen, I think, I, think, I think higher education is a surprisingly hardy enterprise, and so, and it's almost impossible to kill off a public institution. It's damn difficult to kill off a private institution. Mergers are a very much a last resort, and I think a lot of institutions. So I think we will see, I mean, what I've predicted is, and I, I don't, I'm not a big uh, predictor type, but I have seen, I, I think we will see um, a, a, an increase from the five to seven that we've historically seen a year to, I mean, Moody's predicted a tripling, which I think makes sense to me. So I've predicted that a couple hundred institutions go out of business over 10, 15 years, which is 28, 15, 20 a year. And that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. For, for, and I think they'll mostly be small privates. And again, that's through some combination of closures and mergers. And mm-hmm. I think we are, I think, I think 
it, there are, I think we're, I, the, the point at which many institutions get willing to make the kind of collab, do the kind of collaboration and serious cooperation that's necessary, it's going to be too late for, for a lot of them. So uh, I see uh, Inside Higher Ed's having an event on this up in right. a couple months. So yep. is there a lot of, there seems to be then a lot of interest at least in, in at least thinking about this, there, right? Yes. Are you although, seeing that? Well, yes, although it's really interesting. Um, I think it's not a topic that a lot of people want to talk about publicly. Hmm. Uh, so uh, we actually have, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of, um, we're broadening the thing to talk more about sort of, we added this phrase that there's a really interesting thing called TCS education. I don't know if you know it, but it's out of, it's the former Chicago School of Professional Psychology. And they've created this sort of nonprofit system where they bought up Pacific Oaks and some other struggling places. And they're and and they the, the founder of that place, Michael Horowitz, uses this phrase "radical cooperation," which mm-hmm. is sort of serious back end alignment and whatever. So we've added that to the title because I don't sure. think a lot of presidents want to get on a plane to go to a conference about mergers because there are some buyers. Be out of a job. Well, there are some buyers, but probably more sellers. Right. Well, so I was going to say the trustees might have uh, some questions. Well, right. So anyway, so it's a so anyway, but I think there's a lot of conversation about it. I think it's a it's a visual, you know, it's a, a high profile thing, but I I don't think we're going to see tons. I think we'll see some, and and that'll be. I, I think the the real value is going to be in. Again, serious collaboration short of it. But even that is proving difficult in higher education. Yeah, for sure. I, what's behind the poll numbers, though, there, where, where you see that percentage of those serious at that, risk? That and was, we see it in your chief financial officer yeah, polls. Yeah. I mean, you well, see so, it a lot. So it was interesting because that's the thing. 13% of presidents said that they would could see their, their institution closing or merging. And I, was, I agree with you. I thought that was high. Um, and, and it's interesting because it doesn't really jibe so much with some of the other, in general, the financial analysis of the presidents of their own institutions was not, it was pretty stable. Yeah, and it was so, less remarkable. Yeah, yeah. So, so this was, a, so I don't know. It's a, um, I would be, well, though, actually, I, guess, I suppose if you talk about, if we talk about 5 to 7% over a long time, you can get to, you know, so to double that? I don't know. Anyways, I, I agree with you. It was a little high. I think there's some fear, and I get it. It's a, it's a difficult time, and I think institutions are, I think there's a a, cl- a slightly more clear-eyed analysis than I think you and I have seen over the yep. many years. Of yeah, I mean, it, feel, it feels like a different climate than it has been. Uh, shifting gears a little bit to the accreditors of all these new mm-hmm. institutions uh, or, or these mergers, mm-hmm. for-profit conversions, everything, it seems like uh, the one thing Washington agrees on maybe uh, for Republicans and Democrats is that they both don't love the current accreditation mm. system, but yeah. no one has a fix that they do agree yep. on. Is that inaccurate? I, I think that's absolutely Where, right. Where's that all going? I think that's absolutely right. I think, um, I, I you know, I've, I've done some stories over the years that basically say <laughs> – there is there is not replacing what the current accreditation system does would be a massive undertaking. Now, if you jettisoned a whole bunch of stuff that they do, you might be able to get to wait, it. Wait, meaning that you could peel out, say, you're not in charge of looking at the financial health of an institution anymore? Is that what you mean? Potentially. I mean, that's the thing. But they, they are... But but then you'd have to you know are we are, is this an, is certainly this is this an administration or is any maybe Republican administration an administration that's going to hire uh, a f- five hundred analysts right. to go you know do the work that some of the accreditors do vol- with volunteers I mean it's that's the part part of the there is absolutely you're absolutely right that there's dissatisfaction 
and near as I can tell, not really any brilliant ideas for how to do it differently But do you think that the accreditors, uh, you know, I'm on a board, a private college board that just went through a middle states mm-hmm. evaluation under the, some of their new measures. Uh, it seems, or do you feel like the regional accreditors are kind of getting that message and, and well, have done kind of the necessary reforms? Starting to, finally. I mean, listen, <laughs> I mean, and this is certainly consistent with the stuff Michael and I have talked about before. Higher ed changes a lot slower than anybody really most people think it should now i'm happen to be somebody who thinks that the slow change isn't in and of itself a catastrophe i think there are a lot of things that some of the fast change that some people have suggested not sure would be in the best interest so is it a too too slow including the accreditors to change yeah but i mean we just saw somebody from the obama administration go ahead the western accreditor and uh and we now have the you know somebody who the colleges really didn't like when he was it at the now heading the main association of higher education, ACE, uh, Ted Mitchell. So, I mean, there are people in these roles who I think buy into the idea that things need to change. And that's, you know, Lamar Alexander was charging five minutes, you know, 10 years ago saying warning. So I think they're getting it through their heads. So let's talk about slow change and Uh that's uh, college (laughs) athletics. Uh, You mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, that's how you kind of got your start in, uh, in higher ed covering uh, athletic issues, covering uh, uh, UNLV, right? Uh, SMU football uh, scandal. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, uh, so those um, are the good old days compared to to now. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, uh, college athletics has been under fire for a long time, as you know, it seems to be getting worse rather than better. I, I think, listen, and I think, um, I mean, the interesting thing, so I, the last story I did that was relevant to this was sort of, a, this is not an enterprise that's going to change from within. I just don't believe it. And, and you know, Mark Emmert, the head of the NCAA, can have another commission. They're not going to, it's going to take uh, asteroids from outside in the form of, you know, it was the late, whether well, it's not going to be the labor union stuff, It's but it's going to be concussion stuff, I think, has a serious, poses a serious threat. I think that the ultimate – well, I have a theory about that would involve the revoking of the uh, tax exemption, which the Congress made a little step toward with the revoking of the seat license money this year. I think the it's going to be harder and harder to justify the big-time financial nature of big-time sports – and having it be tax exempt. That's to me that where the But you don't think that 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 financial incent stuff will ever come from the inside. In other words, it won't be the trustees, no. it won't be anybody else. No. It won't even be state lawmakers who say enough is enough because we're mostly talking about big public universities. Right, here, right. right. It's possible there's been a little bit of legislative interest over the years, but the legislators like their tickets. They like their tickets, right? <laughs> I mean, so so I mean when, when you say outside does that mean like the NBA says our developmental league is going to take over the college basketball program instead of alongside as a for-profit. It's, I mean, it, it, there's a there's a bunch of different possible things that could knock foundations of the edifice of big-time amateur sports out, and some of those can could be could be congressional, some of those could be legal. The 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 lawsuits on likeness, and you know, there's a bunch of different things that could knock little bricks out and make the whole thing collapse I, but i i still wouldn't bet on it well, i was gonna say I, so you won't bet on it we won't make you in the midst of march madness uh, uh, make us a prediction right, about where yeah, that all goes because right, that's right. probably more uncertain than the national championship Maybe. but yeah. uh but doug thank you sure, a, a ton for joining us on this and uh for all our listeners thanks for joining us on future you i'm michael horn and you can follow me on twitter at michael b horn or at michaelbhorn.com on the web and i'm jeff salingo and you can follow me at on twitter at jay salingo or on the web at jeffsalingo.com and you can download subscribe and rate future you on itunes and google play or follow us on facebook at future you podcast uh great to have uh, doug letterman uh, joining us here in uh, washington dc and until next time enjoy